Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You ever been asked a question that you, you think you know the answer to until you start to answer it? For instance, what are two things you can never eat for breakfast? Well, that may seem like a challenging question, but really it's quite simple. Lunch and dinner. What word is spelled incorrectly every, in every single dictionary? The word is incorrectly. Here's a tough one. What month has 28 days? Well, they all do. Some of them have more than that. There's some questions that just don't have good answers at all. For example, why isn't phonetic spelled the way it sounds? Here's another one. If price and worth have similar meanings, then why are priceless and worthless complete opposites? Honestly, there's just silly questions. Those are inconsequential at best. But I suspect on this resurrection day that if you're like most folks, you're probably asking some pretty serious questions right now. How long will this go on? What's my job going to look like? What about my retirement? Is my family going to stay healthy? Will I have my high school graduation? Will life ever be the same again? If you're asking those questions, it's okay. It's not a sign of doubt or lack of faith. It's simply the reality that nobody alive today has ever experienced anything like this current situation. And we know that God has given us, as his image bearers, the means to, to think forward, the, the, the ability to plan for tomorrow. We should worry about tomorrow, but he certainly tells us to, 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 to plan for and to consider what tomorrow holds. The problem is that none of us really know what tomorrow truly looks like. So what we're all going through right now, we're all finding out where our trust actually lies. And if you find yourself with a closet full of hoarded toilet paper, then you may have already shown us where you're trusting. This morning, as we continue our journey through the storyline of the scriptures, we want to take another stop in a prophetic book in the Old Testament. Last week, we looked into the book of Isaiah for a few moments. Today, though, we want to look into the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is often seen as one of the more unapproachable books in the Old Testament. Ezekiel's visions can confuse us. Indeed, some of the object lessons that Ezekiel is called to demonstrate seem strange to our modern first world sensibilities. But we need to understand a couple of things. First of all, Ezekiel is ministering in a pretty bleak and hopeless situation. The nation has been exiled into Babylon. They are removed from the land that God had promised to their ancestor Abraham. They're removed from the temple where God literally dwelt there with his people. In terms of all the promises that God had made to his people, well, 
for those folks living in Ezekiel's time in exile in Babylon, it, it seems like those promises that God had made were, were somewhat broken now. There's no son of David on the throne. There's not really even a throne. They exist as strangers in a strange land. The Ark of the Covenant that was such a symbol of God's presence was in the hands of foreign rulers, of pagans. No sacrifices could be made. Everything they knew about their faith was in shambles. Psalm 137 was written to capture their feelings. A lament, a song of sorrow. They would sing these words, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Maybe, maybe this morning you can somewhat empathize with their position. For many of us, particularly in our area, this is the first Easter Sunday that you've been unable to gather with the body of Christ for worship. We, we call a lot of folks womb-to-tomb Baptists, and many people have literally been in church every single Resurrection Sunday since they were born. And this is the first one where that gathering is not able to take place. And though hundreds of folks are watching in their living rooms right now, I think we all agree it's just not quite the same. In a very real sense, the condition of the nation in Ezekiel is, is akin to the condition of Adam and Eve after the fall. The nation was exiled as judgment for their sin. In spite of repeated warnings, the people wouldn't change. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden as judgment for their sin. In spite of God's warning about the prohibited tree. If we go back to that Genesis 3.15 promise, the, the one we've been tracking for this entire series, when we turn to Ezekiel, it almost feels like the serpent is still winning. Some might be tempted this morning to look at empty church buildings and empty church parking lots and wonder about the teeth of that serpent. But let me remind you this morning that though our buildings may be empty, Jesus' tomb also remains empty. You know, our faith, the <laughs> Lord's teaching me this, our faith is not based on full sanctuaries. Instead, our faith is based on a very empty tomb. Last week, the prophet Isaiah introduced us to the suffering servant. Though he was physically, according to the prophet, visually described as one who lacked form or majesty or beauty, he would be the one, according to Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, who would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace would be upon him, and we are healed by his wounds. And so it seems from the prophet's standpoint that, that God had given a solution to the problem of sin. 
But overcoming the problem of death, well, that seems to be a bit more elusive. Well, let's see today if the prophet Ezekiel can help us solve that problem. This morning we are in a familiar text, Ezekiel chapter 37. As I was preparing for this text, it occurred to me that in almost 20 years of preaching, I don't believe I've ever preached on this passage. But this morning, a passage that's very familiar to all of us from Ezekiel chapter 37, we'll look at verses 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God, we thank you for your words, for the vision of the prophet Ezekiel, who saw something that would terrify most men, but God who experienced something that encourages us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can these bones live? What a, what a terrible sight that must have been for the prophet Ezekiel. I'll be honest, as, as I was looking for some graphics to use in the slides for the sermons, I, I settled upon the, the, the cartoonish look of the skeletons that are on the slide today. But as I was looking for something appropriate to use, everything that I found looked like something out of a dystopian movie or some sort of horror film. I found myself, as I was looking for, for some graphics, some images to use in this sermon, I found myself somewhat repulsed by the images that I saw. And then it occurred to me that Ezekiel must have had the same response. I was repulsed by images on the internet. Ezekiel was, was actually dropped into a valley that was littered with hundreds and hundreds of, of bones. He was dropped right there in the middle of the valley. It must have been a mass grave of sorts where bodies of fallen men were tossed and not even given a, a proper burial. 
Ezekiel even reported that the Lord led him among the bones on a tour of sorts. Now, for whatever reason, whenever we think about this passage, we often think of Ezekiel up on a bluff looking over the valley. But the text is very clear that Ezekiel is dropped into the midst of the chaos. He's dropped into the midst of the massacre. I can't imagine the sense of hopelessness that must have come over the prophet in that moment. Indeed, you might feel that same sense of hopelessness today when you see refrigerator trucks parked in our cities turned into morgues of sorts. But God asks Ezekiel a question. Can these bones live? I love Ezekiel's answer. Lord, you know. That translates to, I'm looking around and I'm seeing nothing but death, but I also understand that God's in charge, so I shouldn't put any limitations on him. I'm going to be honest, uh, the answer to that question, if you drop me in a valley full of nothing but death and decay and bones, I'm going to look around and say, I'm not feeling it here, Lord. I mean, you take me to the hospital, and, and if I hear a heart monitor flatline, and somebody says, Brian, can, can that patient live? I'm going to say, maybe, get one of those little electric things, stick it on their chest, pump a couple of thousand volts in there, and see what happens. There's a chance. I mean, even Lazarus' family in John 11, they were a little uneasy about the prospects of life. Even after Lazarus had been in the grave just four days, Jesus said, remove the stone. And they said, Lord, is that such a good idea? But if I'm in a valley that's full of nothing but death and decay and dried out human skeletons, I'm going to look and say, no, there ain't nothing to work here with. We got nothing here to work with. That's about as hopeless as hopeless can get. I know God can do all things, but, but this? Can these bones live? This seems a little out of reach. <laughs> but Ezekiel, Lord, you know. That's the right answer. <laughs> That's the right answer. Lord, I don't know. There's a lot of problems with this, Lord, but I don't know. Well, what happens next? God, God brings hope in the middle of the most hopeless of situations. I don't know that Ezekiel could have imagined what was about to transpire when he got dropped in the midst of that valley. Prophesy over the bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound... And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Again, picture this. Ezekiel's in the midst of this. He's not at far, some far-off location supervising this from, from a distance. He's in the midst of it. As he speaks the words given to him by God, as he does, all the death around him begins to teem with life. Bones scattered by scavengers are reunited with their corresponding joint. Can you imagine the, the feeling as Ezekiel looks down and sees a femur brush his foot, returning to its rightful owner? That's the valley of the dry bones. 
And, and all of this is a symbol for Ezekiel, another grand object lesson. The nation felt as good as dead, but God was not finished. In fact, some might argue that he was just getting started. There's still work to be done. There's still promises to keep. There's still a serpent begging to have his head smashed. And just because you've lost hope, doesn't mean that God has given up or that God's forgotten his promises. And so Ezekiel prophesies. The bones reconfigure. The flesh regrows. And, and there, instead of in a valley filled with dry bones, Ezekiel finds himself standing in a valley with a whole bunch of reconstituted lifeless bodies. Ezekiel said, I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and the flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. You see, this is the incredible thing about Resurrection Sunday. God gives life where there was nothing but death. Then he said to me in verse 9, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The word that's used there for breath is the Hebrew word for spirit. And so what is saying to us here, pay attention to this, it is the Spirit of God that gives life where there was nothing but death. And just to make sure that Ezekiel doesn't miss the point of this event, God speaks with remarkable clarity there in the following verses, 11 and 12. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a curse-busting promise to me. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve brought about death. Brought about death. But Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In spite of the fact that death has ruled throughout our story up until this point, God is bringing about victory over death, and he prophesies about it here in Ezekiel chapter 37. God promises the nation of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel that he will one day open the graves and raise you up from your graves. God conquers our sin through the suffering of the servant we recognize that on Good Friday as we remembered that day. 
as we considered the suffering of our Lord Jesus on the cross. But we also understand God will conquer death through the resurrection of the servant, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Christ has been raised from the dead, then those who are in Christ shall also be raised. See, Ezekiel's vision is a powerful reminder for us today that God will not abandon his people to death. You see, when we are born again, we are born again into eternal life. That which is mortal is clothed with immortality, as Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's really what we're talking about here is eternal life. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, Paul says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But listen. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why, as Christians, we can face uncertain days like today. Because we understand in reality that this existence is just a pathway to the next. It doesn't end in tragedy for the follower of Christ. It ends in victory. It's such a mind-blowing concept to consider that, that that enemy that we universally fear, it, it doesn't come to us as, a, as an enemy with teeth. It comes to us as a defeated enemy that actually grants us access to, to eternal life. It doesn't end in tragedy. It ends in victory. It doesn't end in defeat. It ends in us being more than conquerors. And as the church, we find ourselves in submission to the only one who has ever truly conquered death. And today as we celebrate and proclaim, Christ the Lord is risen today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He extends that very same promise to each and every single one of his children. In one weekend, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, hell, and death. He extends that victory to us. So, so what does the promise of the resurrection mean to a, a people living in a day like today? A season of social distancing and quarantine. You know what? I think it means the same thing for us as it meant for the Israelites lamenting their exile in Babylon. We are called today to remember these truths. God is bigger than our circumstances. God is bigger than our fear. And I firmly believe that God is able 
to use the difficulty of these days for his glory. We can fret. We can wring our hands. We can pace the floor. Or we can trust. Because we understand that at the end of our days, there's something better in store. And so as Paul challenged the church at Corinth there in 1 Corinthians 15, he also challenges us today. In the midst of the magnitude of the difficulties that we are facing, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's as true for us today as it's ever been. Even in the midst of our biggest challenges, even in the midst of our darkest circumstances, even in the midst of a global pandemic and a health crisis unprecedented, unlike anything we've ever seen before, even in the middle of that, our labor for the Lord is not in vain. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are grateful for the dry bones of Ezekiel's Valley. We're grateful, Father, for the promise that there is a resurrection, that you will open the graves in the same way that you opened the grave of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for those who are in Christ that we would be encouraged on these, in these dark days, remembering that there's better things in store. That, that we don't have to fear tomorrow. We don't have to fear what's going on. We don't have to fear those things because we know the one that holds tomorrow. Father, I pray that if there's any today that are listening or any that will listen in the days to come who've not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus, they find themselves terrified of the day because they have no confidence in tomorrow that, God, you would move in their hearts to seek out the peace that only comes from a right relationship with Christ. As the suffering servant, he paid the penalty for our sins. As the, the conquering victor, the king, he, he overcomes the grave. And he offers to rescue us from our sin and set us in a right relationship with the Father. Thank you that we serve a risen Savior, that the tomb is empty, and that Jesus, King Jesus, is firmly seated on his throne. We love you and we bless you today, this Resurrection Sunday. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.